Welcome to Talking History, a series of talks given to the Farnham U3A World History Group. Into the Outback, Part 2. In this talk, Michael Abair tells us about Captain Charles Sturt and John McDowell Stewart, two people who did much to explore the interior of Australia. We're now going to look at a completely different person, Captain Charles Sturt. He was really of a generation before Burke and Wills, but his story intertwines with theirs and also with the third person we're going to be looking at, McDowell Stewart. Very confusing with, with a Sturt and a Stewart. This one is Sturt. Sturt was born in British India in 1795, so yes, he is a generation before. His father was a judge in the East India Company and sent this poor little lad home to England on his own at the age of five to go to prep school and live with family that he didn't even know that he'd got. He then went on to Harrow. He was expected to go to Cambridge was considered capable of going on to Cambridge uh, University, but family finances wouldn't stand up to it. But a family friend managed to get the Prince of Wales to put in a good word for him and got him a commission in the army. He was a lieutenant in the Peninsular War with Duke of Wellington, although I don't think the Duke of Wellington knew much about this young, (laughs) young lieutenant. He then moved on to Canada and came back to Britain, was posted back to Britain, I think it was 10 or 12 days after the Battle of Waterloo. When he came back, he was promoted to captain. He volunteered to lead some of his men to be the the soldiers on a prison ship taking prisoners out to, to New South Wales in 1827. He went out there and found that he liked the climate, liked the country, and so decided to stay He served briefly as the governor of Norfolk Island and he was briefly surveyor general for South Australia. Unfortunately, the government in Britain appointed somebody else to be the surveyor general without him knowing, so the other chap turned out and took over his job. He married daughter of a family friend, Christiana Green, and he took her on an expedition up the Murray-Darling River system. They were the first non-Indigenous women to explore the river systems of Australia. Unfortunately, on that trip, one of the men had been a bit slow and disappeared and presumably died because two months later his horse arrived back without him. Well, this caused a lot of controversy to whether... Sturt had been negligent in any way, and although he wasn't, it sort of caused a bit of a slur on his character. He bought some land in Australia, and it didn't seem to go awfully well. He returned to England, had very little money. His health was wrecked by exploring in Australia, and he died at 74 years of age, leaving a a wife and two surviving sons, who were both in the British Army, One was a colonel and the other one a major general, and also a daughter. His wife, his widow, lived on for some years after that. 
Uh, he died in Cheltenham. But that's just a little bit of background on him. Um, he comes back into our story a bit later. John McDowell Stewart, generally known just as McDowell Stewart, was a very different kind of man. He's generally accepted as being one of the most accomplished of Australia's explorers, but he still had his problems. He was born in Dysart in, in Fife in Scotland, 7th of September 1815. He was the son of an army captain, the youngest of nine children. His parents died when he was just 10 years old. Both died, I don't know the reason. The children were all split up and farmed out to various relatives to bring up. He went to live in Edinburgh, went to school there and trained as a surveyor and a civil engineer. He emigrated to Australia in 1839 and started work as a surveyor in the new town of Adelaide, which had only been established a couple of years previously. It was still mostly tents with a few wooden buildings in those early days. His job was to measure out and survey plots for new farms in the surrounding area. Recession hit that part of Australia very hard and Stuart lost his job. He became a private surveyor for a while. His previous employer, the Surveyor General, at that time was none other than our previous character, Charles Sturt, Captain Charles Sturt, who was shortly to lead an expedition into the interior. Sturt appointed Stuart as a member of his team. And not long after they got going, the second in command, James Poole, died of scurvy, and MacDool Stewart was appointed as second in command in his place. Now, whilst Poole died of scurvy, all of the rest of them suffered from it as well. <coughs> the expedition got further north than any apart from Aborigines adventured, and they discovered the Sturt Stony Desert. And you'll recall, perhaps, that our previous characters... Birkin Wills went through the, the Sturt Stony Desert, also the Simpson Desert, two of the driest places in the world and not exactly likely places to find an inland sea. Both men survived the expedition, but it took its toll. Captain Sturt was too ill to stay in Australia and return to England, whilst McDowell Stewart couldn't work for over a year. He did, however, manage to get back to his private surveying and prospecting work eventually. He was a slightly built man, about five foot six tall. I thought that was quite tall, actually. But, uh, <laughs> um, and we're told he was not a strong man physically. He was quick to learn the bushcraft skills that were later so important to him. But he was also a very heavy drinker and was often drunk for days on end. He was proud of his record of never having lost a man, despite the terrible conditions. He led the first south-to-north expedition to cross the continent and returned safely through the centre. It was after Burke and Wills, but as we know, Burke and Wills didn't return safely. The land he discovered and explored was annexed to South Australia in 1863 and became known as Northern Territory. He led six expeditions through the outback, but his health, as I said, was not good. He suffered badly from beriberi and from scurvy. His first expedition started at the property of John and James Chambers, very wealthy early settlers to South Australia. His aim was to search for minerals, grazing land, and a land the Aborigines called Wingulpina, which is on the borders of what we now know as South Australia, Western Australia, and Northern Territory. Had he found it, he might have discovered the amazing amount of nickel and cobalt, which is mined there nowadays, but he'd have probably missed it. 
He set out with two of Chambers' men and six horses in May 1858, together with six weeks' rations, a pocket watch and a compass. Not sure what else he took, but that's what the records say. He passed Lake Torrens and inland Salt Lake and found a chain of semi-permanent water holes, which he duly called Chambers Creek, but is now known as Stewart Creek. This was to prove invaluable in later exploration of the interior. He marched on, not realising that he was walking over a huge and immensely valuable opal field, before running short of food and turning back south for the 300-mile trek to the sea along the edge of the Great Victorian Desert. A big area of it is called the Nullarbor Plain, and it's called, of course, the Nullarbor because there is not a tree for nearly 500 miles in that particular bit. The trip took four months, and they covered about 1,500 miles. He was awarded a gold watch by the Geographical Society for his discoveries. He applied for a pastoral lease near Chambers Creek. As the man who discovered the land, he was entitled to do so, but he wanted a very much bigger plot. He said he'd do the surveying as part of a bargaining point, and off he went to do so in April 1859. This time he had three men and 15 horses. His second expedition was underway. When the survey was finished, he headed due north towards what we now know as the border between South Australia and Northern Territory, still part of New South Wales at that time. He was still some 65 miles south of it when he had to turn back. Interestingly, not because of a lack of food or water, but of horseshoes. Uh, Horseshoes were essential on the stony and rocky ground. He found a reliable water source, which was later discovered to be connected to the Great Artesian Basin, which is a huge underground, massive underground lake, deep beneath a large part of Australia. He said in his diary, I have named this the Spring of Hope. It is a little brackish, but not from salt, but from soda, and it runs a good stream of water. I've lived on far worse water than this. To me, it is of the utmost importance and keeps my retreat open. I can go from here to Adelaide any time of year and in any sort of season. He returned in July with tales of a wonderful country. Nowadays, it's barely able to graze a handful of cattle. The third expedition was not a success. Stuart had found that the land he'd surveyed and claimed had already been claimed by other people, so he had to return to resurvey the area and find another area another bit of land. He went on to explore the western end of Lake Eyre and found more artesian springs, but it was in the heat of summer and his eyes were suffering from the glare. They had to go on half rations, which angered the men. After a short time, all but one of his men refused to leave camp and Stuart had little option but to send them home. The one loyal man went to get more supplies and men. Well, he got some supplies, but could only find one volunteer man. So soon afterwards, they returned to Adelaide. The fourth expedition was to explore the centre of the continent and to try to forge a route through to the north coast of Australia for the new telegraph. Stuart went with two other men, leaving Chambers Creek on the 2nd of March, 1860. Unfortunately, unexpected rain ruined a lot of their stores and meant that yet again they were on half rations for the remainder of the trip. Seven weeks later, they reached what they calculated as being the centre of the continent and found a convenient mountain nearby, which Stuart decided to name Mount Sturt after his mentor 
and the first expedition leader, Captain Sturt. It was later renamed Central Mount Stuart and was soon discovered to be some distance, really, from the actual centre of Australia. Perhaps his surveying skills didn't extend quite that far. They headed north, and a month later it rained. They reached Tennant's Creek, now simply known as Tennant Creek, a month later, and were only 500 miles from the north coast, and they were 300 miles to the north of Alice Springs. Their route was blocked by heavy, impenetrable scrub, and they again ran short of water then found the local Aborigine tribe were extremely hostile and kept attacking them. They named this place Attack Creek. Clever naming. All three men were suffering from scurvy badly and the horses were in a very poor condition, so they had to turn back south. They eventually covered the 1,500 miles to Adelaide, which they reached in October 1860. Having already received the Royal Geographical Society's gold watch... Stuart was awarded their Patron's Medal. The only other recipient of both at that time had been Dr David Livingstone. Stuart was also awarded a public breakfast in Adelaide. <laughs> yeah, apparently it was a very great honour in those days. The next expedition, the fifth, was, as usual, down to the sponsorship of the Chambers family. The expedition was sponsored to the tune of £2,500. I'd remind you that Burke and Will's uh, were sponsored to the tune of 9,000, that that was considered inadequate. Stuart left Chambers Creek on the 1st of January 1861, peak of high summer and the worst possible time to travel. The heat was extreme, making it very dangerous. This time they had ten armed men with them in case of trouble. They were still in the northern part of South Australia on the day Burke and Wills reached the Gulf of Carpentaria, although, of course, they had absolutely no possible way of knowing about it. Eventually, the rains came and they reached Attack Creek on the 24th of April, where they turned back the previous time, but there were no Aborigines there this time at all, none whatsoever. Yet again, heavy scrubland and a shortage of food and water caused problems. After trying many different directions, Stuart found Newcastle water, where there was an expanse of open water, and camped there. Nowadays, it's a complete ghost town. They spent another five weeks trying to find a route to the north coast without success, again suffering repeated attacks by native Australians, despite the armed men they'd got. On the 1st of July, six months to the day after leaving Chambers Creek, they turned back to the relative cool climate of South Australia. When they reached civilization, they heard that Burke and Wills were missing and immediately offered to help search for them. But before they could leave, news reached them that the best-equipped expedition Australia had known at that time had resulted in seven deaths. The final expedition gave McDowell Stewart the success he probably deserved. As usual, he left the Chambers House, this time on the 23rd of October 1861, better time of year slightly. He had ten men and 71 horses with him, but as always, he travelled light. They had barely started when a horse reared and its hoof hit Stuart on the head, then stamped on his right hand. That's pretty bad luck. It was thought he'd probably have to have his hand amputated as the damage was so severe. But he recovered and caught up with the rest of the party five weeks later at another one of Chambers' properties, a huge sheep station. He soon dismissed one of the party for insubordination. Now, this is the most 
bizarre thing in the whole story, I think. The man refused to be parted from his greatcoat. Now, <laughs> we are talking in terms of the interior of Australia with astronomically high temperatures day and night. But he refused to be parted from his greatcoat. Now, what on earth he wanted that for in, in, in that part of central Australia is, is a question way beyond my pay grade. The man was also accused of keeping a diary. Presumably, Stuart wanted to be the only one to be able to publish a story of the crossing of the continent. Eventually, they all reached Daly Waters, still about 400 miles from what later became known as Darwin, and again had trouble with marauding Aborigines. Eventually, on the 1st of July, they reached a river that Stuart named the Mary River, after Miss Mary Chambers, sister of the two Chambers brothers, and followed it downstream. On the 23rd of July, 1862, they reached the sea at what, what he called Chambers Bay, a short distance, very short distance, east of present-day Darwin. McDool Stewart had crossed Australia from south to north, a distance of rather over 1,800 miles, as the crow flies. On this, his last trip, he had to be carried a lot of the way back on a stretcher between two horses, as he was so weak. He'd pushed himself extraordinarily hard and got weaker every trip. He really opened the interior of the continent for cattle and sheep farming. A little later, his route was used for the Australian Overland Telegraph Line from Adelaide to Darwin, where it connected to the undersea line to Java and meant that the continent was able to be in touch with the rest of the world. The famous Stuart Highway pretty well follows his route all the way between Darwin and Adelaide. Or you can fly direct and non-stop between Adelaide and Darwin today with Qantas, but it will still take you over four hours, which gives some idea of the vast distances involved. On his return, Stuart was virtually blind, in constant pain, suffering from the effects of scurvy and malnutrition, so he decided to return to Britain. He died two years later on the 5th of June, 1866, and is buried in Kensal Green Cemetery. The views expressed in this talk are representative of the views held at the time of the material being discussed. They do not necessarily represent the views of the speaker, the Farnham U3A History Group, or the team at the Mr T Podcast Studio. This podcast has been produced by the Mr T Podcast Studio in association with the Farnham U3A World History Group. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>